In this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast, I am going to discuss my favorite big men prospects in the 24 NBA Draft. Now, this episode is part one of a three-part series where I will be covering 15 big men prospects that I think will have an impact in the 2024 NBA Draft. Stay tuned. Big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. I'm your host, Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies. And I am exhausted. Yeah, I know you've probably heard me talk about being exhausted before, but I haven't been to sleep. I went to Las Vegas. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see I have on my Spence versus Crawford shirt. Went to Las Vegas for the fight. And on my way back last night, they had to change the tire on the plane, which caused a major delay. Then I got to Los Angeles late. I had a, a, I booked my ticket last minute, so I ended up having a layover. Got to LA, flight got pushed back and pushed back. Then they told us at 1.30 in the morning that they didn't have a crew for our flight. So we had to wait until a crew came in. So we didn't take off until 3 a.m. And then by the time I landed in Dallas, it was morning time. So I didn't get hardly any sleep, maybe dozed off a little bit on the plane, but I'm not one of those people that can have a comfortable sleep on the plane or in the airport. And the outlets didn't work at LAX in the American Airlines terminal. So now I was scrambling around trying to find a place where I could charge my phone. But overall, I had a good weekend in Las Vegas. I know this is NBA big boy, you don't want to hear about boxing, but I am born and raised in Omaha. I live in Dallas, so I had a very strong interest in this fight because Terrence Bud Crawford is from Omaha, Errol Spence is from Dallas. The fight, it was shocking, but it lived up to the expectations. And I was in Vegas just a couple weeks ago, and I thought it was going to be a a championship style matchup between Victor Wimbayama and Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson. And we didn't get Scoot versus Wimby part three. And Brandon Miller versus Wimbayama was an absolute dud. So, of course, there was a little bit of concern as to, all right, am I going to go to this fight? And is it, is it going to live up to this hype that, you know, we, boxing fans have been waiting three or four years to, for this, this particular showdown? And it lived up to the hype. Again, I'm shocked the way Bud totally, totally just dominated Errol Spence. I'm I'm stunned. I mean, I was in the crowd. Couldn't believe it, especially the knockdown in the second round. And I'm just happy for Omaha. Again, I'm born and raised in Omaha. Bud is a, a big deal in Omaha. The city is, I mean, the city came out to Vegas and just based off of what I'm saying on social media, the city is so proud of him as the undisputed champ. But anyway, let's talk about basketball. Maybe one day they'll have locked on boxing. I don't know if I'm qualified to talk about it, but if there is locked on boxing, I would love to be a part of that because the credentials would be really good. The credentials would be good because the, the fights can get a little expensive. All right, let's talk about basketball. Let's talk about the top big men in the 2024 NBA draft class. And the first name that comes to mind is a guy that I've talked about at length multiple times since I started covering the 24 draft, 
couple weeks ago, and it is Donovan Klingen from UConn. I think Klingen is going to be the first big man off the board. 7'2", 260, 7'7", wingspan, a 9'6", standing reach. He won a national championship at UConn last season, although he only played a limited role in 13 minutes. He was very impactful in his 13 minutes. I think he has a strong case to be national player of the year. And he's going to be one of the best, if not the best, big man in the country. Now, last year, again, the stats don't blow your mind, but 6.9 points per game, 5.6 rebounds, and 1.8 blocks per game. But in only 13 minutes of action, 13 minutes, that's how much of an impact. Now, I am not a per 100 possessions guy. I'm not a guy that uses per 36 and per 40. That's just not me. But in this case, I'm going to make an exception a couple times in this podcast. Now, if you break down Donovan Klingen's stats per 100 possessions, he averaged, I'm I'm, I'm, going to say this slowly, 30.8 points per game, 25.1 rebounds, and 8 blocks per 100 possessions. So, with that being said, I'm expecting a big year for him. Not, Not those type of numbers, but he's capable of it. In his high school... His last year in high school as a senior, he averaged 30 points, 18 rebounds, and 6.2 blocks per game. So this season, especially with a good point guard in Stefan Castle, I think that Klingen is going to be able to average, I'm going to say 15, 13, and 5. I think that would be good enough to get him a spot in the top 10, maybe top 5. And I spoke with someone that thinks that he has a chance to go number one because they believe he's going to be that dominant. Now here's just a little bit of my personal scouting report on Klingon. Huge physical presence at 7'2". He can run the floor. Shows flashes of having decent footwork. He is a traditional post player, so he does look to post up. He's aggressive looking to post up. He's not going to be a guy that's floating around on the perimeter. He shows some capability of of being a a passer and a ball mover but he's a vertical lob threat he's an excellent rebounder good athlete not like an incredible super explosive athlete but he is a good athlete especially when you consider again he's 7'2 like 260 265 pounds he is an intimidating rim protector changes a team's offense deters slashers from going to the rim makes teams settle for jump shots he stays vertical on on defense just a very fundamental impactful defender now the weaknesses are i think he needs to improve his left hand i think that even though he does have good size and strength he could get a little bit stronger at preparing for the nba draft he does have a tendency to throw up some kind of wild shots around the rim every once in a while even though he's crazy efficient and he's still a little raw offensively So what I am looking forward to seeing the most from Donovan Klingen in the 23-24 season is I want to see if, one, he can extend his shooting range. He only took one three-pointer all last year, which, again, limited sample size of of time and shots. And I want to see if, if he can maybe knock down some short corner jumpers, maybe knock down jumpers at the elbow or free throw line. So extending his range is the first thing I want to see. And then I wonder about his overall shooting touch and range period because he only shot 51% from the foul line. So that is what I would like to see out of a, out of Donovan Klingen next season, extended range, and actually if he has range. So, But again, I think he's going to be the first 
big off the board. Maybe Aaron Bradshaw, but I'm just talking about bigs that are returning. I should have probably mentioned that in the opening. These are big men that are returning to college basketball. I'm sure we're going to have plenty of time to talk about the freshmen because it's still July 31st and college basketball doesn't start for a while. All right. When we return, I want to talk about Kalel Ware. Ware was hyped as a potential top 10 pick coming into the 2023 NBA draft. And he had, I mean, let's just be honest. He had a disappointing season. It showed some flashes, had some good stretches in the beginning of the season, but tailed all the way off in the second half of the season. He has transferred to Indiana. But I'll talk about Kalel Ware when we return. But first, let's talk about FanDuel because you can take your first swing at betting on Major League Baseball on FanDuel. And you can get 10 times your first bet in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, whether you win or lose. That's 200 you can spend on betting everything from the money line to the over or under who you think is gonna hit the first home run, the first strikeout. So many options for you to bet on, and it's all on the app that is safe, that is secure. It's super easy to use, and when you win, you get paid instantly, so you don't have to wait a couple days. And there's no better place to bet on Major League Baseball than FanDuel, which is America's number one sports book. So sign up today. And if you visit FanDuel.com and use the promo code slash locked on, you can get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel is the official sports, I'm sorry, the official partner for Major League Baseball and the official partner for Locked On. All right, once again, big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. And shout out to you, yes, you, the listener, for listening to 2024 NBA draft coverage, like 11 months before the draft. I've said it before, there's not going to be an off season with, with me. I'm going to continue to put out content as if we're in the middle of the season. Now, I, know I may have a period where I don't have anything else to talk about because I've talked about everything else, but I have a, a list of solo podcasts and, and thoughts that I'm going to cover. Hopefully it lasts me all the way up until November, but if not, I'll find a way again. There's no off season. And thank you, the listener for listening to the Lockdown NBA Big Board podcast during the dead period of basketball season. And in the next episode, it will be part two of a three part series. I'm going to break down five different returning big men who I think could impact the 2024 NBA draft. But let's get back to Kalel Ware. Kalel Ware, like I mentioned, was a hyped, very hyped recruit. I know last year I did a podcast and it was who is the better prospect between Derek Lively and Kalel Ware. I think it was probably 50-50 around this time last year. A lot of people thought both big men were gonna have major impacts and have basically changed games on the offensive end and show like improved shooting touch. And you can say that both guys kind of underwhelmed in a sense because Lively, even though he went 12th in, in last June's draft, he didn't come on until late. And then Ware actually had a good start in the beginning of the season. And then his was the opposite of, of Lively. Lively finished strong, even though he wasn't necessarily scoring or doing much on offense, but he finished strong on the defensive end, which led to him being a lottery pick, while Ware got off to a, a pretty good start, and then by the end of the season, he 
just looked like he lost his confidence, didn't play hard or motor, but I'll get to that in a second. But he's a former five-star prospect. He's from Little Rock, Arkansas. And a lot of people, like I said, had him as a first-round pick this year, or last year, I'm sorry, as a freshman. He averaged six points, four rebounds, 1.3 blocks in 35 games for Oregon. He has since transferred to Indiana. And I think the one of the main reasons for the transfer is he was really close with a coach that was at Arkansas that recruited him to Arkansas because he's from Little Rock. That coach went to the University of Oregon. And I, I feel like that was probably the main reason why he went so far away from home to Oregon. And then the coach ended up leaving and taking the job at University of Nebraska, Omaha. Hey, talking about Omaha again. And so I felt like Ware was already a guy that wasn't going to come back to Oregon regardless. I thought if he played well enough, he was going to the NBA draft. If he didn't play well and was going to return to school as a sophomore, I felt like he was going to leave. I thought he would maybe follow that particular coach, but then I thought it would be a long shot for him to you know, go to a mid-major after being so hyped. But he chose to play for Mike Woodson at Indiana. Indiana had one of the best bigs in the country last year in Trace Jackson Davis. And so I think that Ware made, made a good decision. He's someone that was a little bit disappointing to me. And it's more so because of his, his effort. I felt like his motor didn't run consistently. I think he is the, the type of big that his motor is going to be dependent on how much he's featured on offense. Not saying that he's expecting teams to give him the ball on the block and, and say go to work, but if he had like a point guard that is going to, you know, make sure that he's getting his touches, looking for him on lobs, and I think it's gonna have an impact, but I felt like Ware's motor was up and down even back when he was in high school, but he was such a late bloomer and just such an intriguing prospect that, you know, it's easy to overlook that. But overall, if you look at if you look at his per 40, again, this is the last time I used the per 40 stuff. But if you look at the per 40, he averaged 17, 10, and 3 blocks per game for Oregon. So the numbers aren't bad. And through the first nine games, he actually looked like the guy that I expected to be a lottery pick. In his first nine games, he averaged 10 points, 5 rebounds, 1.4 blocks. About 57% on twos, 30% on threes, about 31% on threes. Not eye-popping numbers, but just enough flashes of defensive potential or as a rim protector and a floor spacer that I thought he was intriguing enough to be a at least a lottery pick, just based off of the way he played. And he joined an Oregon team that I thought just had a lot of depth in the front line anyway. I thought that was a mistake. I, I do think that a lot of... High school stars are like making bad choices and going to schools. I'm, I'm not saying I don't think that they should want to compete. I definitely think you should go to a school where you can, you know, there is some competition where they're not just giving you the keys, but also think like sometimes you have to look at the roster and, and, and figure out that. All right, I'm behind some veterans that are definitely going to play. Where am I going to get my minutes? Because college basketball coaches. They're not all about developing you for the NBA. Their main thing is winning, and they're going to choose a productive veteran most of the time. But anyway, I thought that was an interesting decision to go to Oregon based off of their roster. But like I mentioned, he had a very strong connection with a coach. 
But after the first nine games, it was downhill for Khalil Ware. I mean, he barely scored double figures. I know there was like a point where he only had two games and double figures in like the 18 games following the first nine games. He lost his, his playing time, looks like he lost his confidence, and that impacted his overall effort and energy. But the outside shooting is, I, I, I would say that was probably what made him really interesting. And he finished shooting only 27% from three. It was on 55 attempts. So it was, you know, a fair amount of attempts, 55 attempts in 35 games. But he did shoot 71% from the foul line. So I think that the shooting touches is, is okay. But here's a little bit about my scouting report on Khalil Ware. These are just some notes that, that I wrote. A lot of it are notes that I took um, from when he was in high school. He's a has good NBA positional size at seven foot, excellent size and length, massive wingspan, shows the flashes having a soft touch around the rim. He can serve as a vertical lob threat. He's agile. Um, I think his body's gonna be able to fill out. When he's motivated, he can be a strong finisher around the rim, will look to dunk and finish strong. The motor is in question, but again, if he's playing well, he looks active. But if he's not, then he just is not, he, he's not, an, 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 his motor is not impressive. I'll put it like that. Um, I thought that he's a good rebounder, has a quick second jump. When he's motivated and in tune, he's not afraid of contact, shows that he can make difficult catches. I think that he has pretty good hands, crashes the offensive glass, and can run the floor. But again, a lot of his strengths are based off of how motivated and inspired he is now some concerns i think that he has a weak left hand not a a gifted low post score again he's not someone that has a bunch of moves and counter moves around the basket T to my knowledge and what i've seen he just has one go-to move but you know i don't think he's going to be featured like that anytime soon um the passing instincts need to need to improve and I think the main thing is his motor. So what I would like to see out of Khalil Ware next season is I want to see an improved motor, more intensity and being more engaged. I want to see him play with a sense of urgency. And I want to see if he improves as a three-point shooter. So those are my concerns for Khalil Ware. All right, when we return, I got three more players to cover. But when we return, I want to talk about Kyle Filipowski from Duke. He is a sophomore, and he was Duke's best player last year, despite the fact that Duke had two guys drafted in the first round. All right, I'll talk about Filipowski when we return. All right, last segment. So I left off talking about Kyle Filipowski, who was Duke's best player, but ultimately decided to return for a sophomore year. And he was named ACC Rookie of the Year. He was the ACC Tournament MVP. And he was, honorable mention, All-American. And he was a, the freshman of the year. I forgot which publication it was. He led Duke in scoring. He averaged 15 points, a little under nine rebounds per game. Had 16 double-doubles. Led all freshmen in double-doubles. And usually when you have those type of numbers at a school like Duke, you are one and done. You are absolutely gone. But Filipowski decided to return. I thought he made a good decision. I do think that he would have been, at the very minimum, a first-round pick, late first-round pick. But 
I think that he has a chance, especially when this draft isn't considered to be as strong, I think he has a chance to improve upon that draft status. Now, my report on Filipowski is he has good positional size and frame. He's a skilled interior presence. He's a good ball handler for his size. He is capable of scoring off the dribble. Even though he's seven foot 230, he's not like your traditional back to the basket, low post score. I mean, he can handle, he can move. He has, what I like about him as he does have a competitive fire. He does have a main streak. He's a very good rebounder, especially on the offensive end of the floor. Good passer, good ball mover. I think that that's gonna be maybe his, his greatest asset in the NBA is his ability to make plays with his, at, at the five and as, as a big man. Like, I think there's so much value in having a big that can find cutters and and you can make it can make plays for others. I do think that he's a better shooter than the numbers indicate. I definitely think he's a better shooter than the numbers indicate. He is a, a guy that can get a rebound and push the ball up the floor at seven foot, 230 pounds. I actually think he's bigger than that. So I think that if he puts it all together, he is like this rare dribble shoot and pass threat at the five. Now, the concerns are he doesn't have ideal speed and quickness. He's not twitchy or explosive, but again, that's something I think we kind of can overvalue. I mean, we look at Nikola Jokic. He won MVP and can't jump over curve. But I think Filipowski, even though he's a skilled interior presence, I think that he needs to improve his touch around the rim. I feel like he misses some bunnies from time to time. I think that he needs to improve his face-up game. And sometimes I wonder about how he can defend in space. So what I'm looking forward to seeing from Kyle Filipowski in 23-24 is, can he show great improvements as an outside shooter and his mobility? He had surgery on both hips. And he says that he should be ready for the start of the season, but that's concerning. That is really, really concerning when you have surgery on, not one, but both hips. So I wonder how does that affect him as far as like how he moves and overall. So that'd be something to keep an eye out on. But Kyle Filipowski is someone that I think should be a first rounder in the 2024 NBA draft. All right, I wanna talk about Trevon Brazil. Now I think that he could climb into the lottery. I had him as a late first round pick before he got hurt. 6'10", 220 pounds. He's a red shirt sophomore from Arkansas. Played at Missouri his freshman year. His sophomore year at Arkansas, he was limited to only nine games. And I thought in those nine games, he showed me enough to where I would have taken him in the first round. And despite the fact that he wasn't even starting because Arkansas was loaded with Anthony Black, well, Nick Smith. I don't even know how many games they played together. It wasn't a lot of games. But Arkansas had a lot of talent. He averaged 11.8 points per game, six rebounds, and was the team's top three-point shooter in the nine games that he played. One of the biggest, the biggest areas that Arkansas struggled last year was with floor spacing. And I think that if he would have played the entire season, it would have opened the court up for Anthony Black and Ricky Council and so on. Arkansas struggled shooting threes. Now there was a game that, that Brazil, it was, the, it was the first game of the year. And I, that's when I knew, like, okay, he is primed for a breakout year after, you know, looking really, really raw at Missouri. But it was against North Dakota State. 
And it was a game that later on in the season, we realized that he was going up against a potential NBA player in Grant Nelson. And he had 21 points, 12 rebounds, was 7 of 14 from the floor, made 3 out of 6 from deep, and shot 4 for 5 from the foul line. Again, North Dakota State is by far, it's not a powerhouse by any means, I should say. But he showed his flashes and what he's capable of. And his combination of shooting, athleticism, and defense, and, and just like being a vertical lob threat, I think that's good enough to be a first rounder. And before he went down, he had 11 blocks and nine steals. So he had, what is that, 20 stocks in nine games, which again, if you're in the stocks, then you have to be impressed with the numbers that he was putting up. We'll definitely need to gain weight, but here is my scouting report on Brazil. I have he's long and skilled, he's a good athlete, he's agile, fluid, has the movements like a wing, very coordinated. His body has definitely improved since, since his freshman year. And I'm looking to see what he looks like coming into this year, see if there's any more improvement because with him being out, I would imagine he had a lot of time to just kind of work on his body. I thought that he has very good promise as a shooter. Again, he shot about 38% from three in nine games. It'll be interesting to see how he capitalizes on those numbers. If, if that was just a short stretch or is he really like that as a shooter? Shows some ability to attack closeouts, not necessarily like shifty ball handling, but he is agile, coordinated enough and has the skill set to attack closeouts on straight line drives. Good shot blocker, rim protector, can handle the ball in space is your rare shot blocking floor spacer. He can be a pick and pop threat, show soft touch around the rim, vertical lob threat. I put that he has a very, very high upside. Now, my concerns were the shooting consistency. Can he keep up the 38%? I think obviously he needs to get stronger. I think the passing is, is definitely an area that he'll need to improve on. And then playing through contact, which you know that is part of part of him getting stronger and bulking up. And then there are times where he still looks a little raw. But for what I would like to see from Trevon Brazil in 2023-24, the main thing I wanna see is can he maintain the shooting splits? Is he 100% healthy? I know sometimes coming off an ACL injury, it may take a year before you really start to feel like yourself. And I know there's can be like a mental hurdle. So I wanna see if he's completely healthy and can he be the best defender in the SEC. All right, last player that I wanna talk about is somebody that I also thought was a first round pick at some point during the season. And when I read off his, his numbers and his accolades, it's kind of head scratching that he chose to come back to school. And that is Deron Holmes, a junior who's at University of Dayton. No, I'm sorry, it's Dayton University. Holmes, otherwise known as Deuce, had a really good year, 6'10", 225. I liked him as a freshman. I was really intrigued with his upside. And I thought that his sophomore year, he made the jump. I thought he made the jump that I was expecting. He was first team all A-10. He was the A-10's most outstanding player in their conference tournament when he averaged 21.7 points per game, 10 rebounds and four blocks. And he led it's University of Dayton. Yes, University of Dayton, UD. I don't know why I was kind of getting it mixed up with UD. Like that's what people call University of Detroit. But anyway, he actually led his team in scoring. 
and he was fourth in the Atlantic 10 in rebounds. So he averaged 18 points and eight rebounds per game. He was the only player in the Atlantic 10 that was in the top five in both scoring and rebounding. He led the conference in blocks at a little under two per game. And he led the nation in dunks for 89. That's like one of my favorite stats. Guys that lead the nation in dunks. One, usually it shows athleticism. Sometimes it can just be pure size, but it shows athleticism, finishing, and, and I just think a guy that leads in dunks and blocks in that category, especially if you're not like crazy huge, like he's, he's 16, he has good size. But those are numbers that I look at that can kind of just indicate the athleticism and, and defense. I think he's a very underrated player, a passer. Again, I'll say it again. I think he's a very underrated passer. The decision-making isn't always sharp, but the vision, I think he sees cutters and he finds guys. And I think that is probably like the biggest swing skill, but he's got a great motor and I think he's going to be an impactful NBA player. Now, I was actually shocked that he did return to school. I filmed his uh, pro day at the NBA combine and he didn't look great at the combine. And from what I heard, he didn't have strong workouts. However, it wasn't really reported, but I heard that he was dealing with an illness. I forgot exactly what it was. I don't know if it was like mono or the flu, but I've heard from multiple sources that he was not 100% in the workouts or he was coming off of illness. And he, he thought that that would impact his draft status. Now he will be playing without his running mate, Tamani Kamara, who was drafted by the Phoenix Suns in the second round. So it'll be interesting to see how he looks when he's not sharing the front court with another NBA player. But let me talk about his, his overall strengths, in my opinion. Skilled, agile, mobile athlete. He is a vertical lob threat. He has the potential to be a face-up scorer, even though it's only small flashes. But I, I see that there is potential there. He can impact games as a transition rim runner. He has high upside as a pick and roll man. He can handle the ball a little bit for his size. Good motor. He's active off the ball, plays with energy, shows flashes of having a soft touch inside of 10 feet, is an effective cutter. I thought last year, I thought after his freshman year, he was going to make a jump as a shooter. Even though the shooting numbers did improve, but it was still around 31%. But he's active on the offensive glass. And his activity allows him to get free points at the free throw line. He is an efficient finisher around the rim. And he's someone that, that sprints back on defense. I love how he transitions from offense to defense and even from defense to offense. And that's something that a lot of guys don't do well. Now, my concerns are the shooting range and consistency. And I'll get to, I'll get to that in a second. Still seems a little bit raw on offense. And... He needs to work on his left hand. He, he, right now, he's very right-hand dominant. He does have a tendency to load up around the rim. And when I say load up around the rim, it's almost like every big, in my opinion, should watch Pau Gasol, how he always kept the ball high. If he got an offensive rebound, it was like the mic and drill. The ball never went down to his waist. He never, like, squatted to power up. And I think that's something that, that Holmes does. Like, he'll, instead of catch it like if you dump the ball off to him and he's looking to dunk which he led the nation to dunk so i love the fact that he finishes strong but sometimes when he's powering up to dunk 
it can lead to a foul. And I think he'd get maybe one, one more, maybe two more baskets per game if he just did the mic and drill, didn't bring the ball down low, didn't bring it to where the guards can slap it out of his hands or foul him. So that's just something that I think he can prove. I think his feel for the game needs work again. Like I said, there are times when he looks a little raw. The decision-making, again, sometimes with the court vision, I think he sees the guy, but sometimes he is a little, he's a little late. He's squeezing it into a, a tight area. Um, I think he needs to add some pace to his game. And that goes back to being a little raw. I think he can play a little wild from time to time and play too fast. And then I would like to see him improve as a screener. There were times where I watched him and he just whiffed as a screener. But what I would like to see from Deron Holmes in 23-24 is can he improve as a shooter? Can he add a little bit more pace and feel to his game? And if so... I think he can be a first-round pick. I'm starting to see guys not even mock him as a first-round pick next year. So it, it goes to show that when you return to school sometimes, especially as a junior, you're no longer the flavor of the month. People kind of forget about you. But I think he's going to be a first-round pick. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. Once again, big shout-out to you for listening to NBA Draft Coverage in late July, early August, because it is the off-season, but... There is no off-season for me at NBA Big Board. And in the next episode, I have five more bigs that I want to talk about that I think can have a big impact in the 24 NBA Draft. Once again, it's Rafael Barlow, and I am 